Well, hi, everyone. My name is George Davis. Thanks again for joining us for this online service of the Hershey Free Church. By the way, a little later in the service, we're going to take time to celebrate communion together. So I would just encourage you right now to maybe get some supplies for yourself, or if you're with friends or family, to get enough for them as well. Just something to eat, a cracker, bread, whatever works for you, something to drink, something to share with the people uh, that are in your home. So uh, we'll be coming to that a little bit later. I encourage you to get those supplies right now. As you're doing that, um, you know, a moment ago, you were reminded of the fact that this is Veterans Day weekend. It is um, a weekend when we appropriately recognize and acknowledge those who are serving or have served in behalf of our country, in defense of our country, the United States of America. And while we're very appreciative of their service, the truth is right now, it, it doesn't feel very united. We're in the midst of this pandemic. We're in the midst of, of, of multiple cultural issues that are dividing us. We're going through this contentious election that is taking days to sort out. And it seems clear that right now there are deep and lasting divisions in our country. And these divisions, they're not simply seen at a national level. I think they're divisions many of us have felt personally. We felt them in our conversations with friends and family. We felt them in school. We felt them in our workplace. And for many of you, you've also felt them here at church and interacting with other people. We've experienced the reality of these issues. They're actually pulling us apart. Yet as a church, particularly during this academic year, in the midst of all of this that is going on, we're focused on building bridges with others. And if, if you'd like to learn more about that, I would encourage you to check out the tab on bridge building at hfcinfo.com. We're about bridge building this year, taking faith-stretching next steps in our relationships with others. But of course, this, this can be complicated because of all these other factors that are pulling us apart and pulling apart our relationships. And the reality is this, there's, there's really no indication that these factors are going to get better anytime soon. No indication that we're necessarily going to heal in the near future. However, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, particularly as we are seeking to build bridges with others, I think there is a helpful place for us to start in the midst of all this division. A helpful clarity that really engages us and prepares us to live in this moment well. And that focus that can give us clarity is found in Jesus' prayer in John 17. Now, in John's gospel, uh, his final teaching session with his disciples culminates with a prayer. And in this prayer, as he prays for us, he prays for unity. And I think as we're seeking to build bridges with others, particularly in a cultural moment that is very divided, in these interesting times, this, this is a place where we have to start. This is a theme we have to come back to. We have to start with the understanding, the recognition of Jesus' vision for us as his church. A vision that we would be united. To see that, let me just show you part of Jesus' prayer when, as we come to John 17. Here's part of that prayer. My prayer is not for them alone, 
that is for his disciples. But I, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, the ongoing church, and that includes us. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. There's that theme of unity. Just as you are in me and I am in you, Father, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I so have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Right again, the theme of unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and I have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, as you notice, as you look at this prayer for a unity, just notice a couple of things. First of all, notice the people that are united. I mean, in Jesus' prayer, the people who are united are those who believe in him. They're people who have been brought together by the good news of Jesus Christ. Secondly, notice the nature of this unity in this prayer. Jesus, Jesus describes the unity at work as, as related to the Trinity, right? The interrelationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says, just as you are in me and I am in you, as he's praying to, to the Father. So there's, there's a unity in the Trinity that is now related to the unity that should be a part of this church. When we become followers of Christ, we are brought into this relationship. Jesus says, I am in them and you are in me. Thus, even as the Trinity is united, now out of that unity, we experience unity as we come into relationship with Jesus. So to put this differently... Our unity is grounded in our union with Christ. That's what we see in this passage. In other words, to be brought into relationship with Christ is to be brought into not simply relationship with him, but to be brought into relationship with others. This means our unity, it's not a casual thing. It is deeply rooted in what Christ has done and is doing. Now, there's, there's one other thing to notice about this unity, right? It's a unity of believers. It's a unity of people who believe in Jesus. It's a unity grounded in our union with Christ. Furthermore, it is a union that leads to mission. Christ brings us into relationship with himself and with each other. And in doing so, he brings us into his mission, the mission of the Trinity, May they be in us so that the world may believe. And he also says that this is taking place so that the world will know. So Christ has this grand vision of unity that he is creating as he brings us into relationship with himself. But as God brings us together, the unity is never an end in itself. He always sends us out. So, at this point, you might be saying, okay, George, this is, this is some deep theology here. I've got to get the big idea. We're to be united as a church. But, but help me understand this, just maybe even in a more practical way. Why is this important? I realize this is a big theme in the teaching of Jesus, but kind of at a practical level, why is this important for me? That's a great question. Why is it important that I get this? And I think there are lots of answers to that question. And, and we could spend days talking about that. But let me just give you one practical reason why I think this theme of unity is so important for us to grab hold of, of and, and to understand. 
We've got to understand this theme of unity because, now hear this carefully, when the gospel is at work, it can actually complicate your life. When the gospel is at work, it can actually complicate your life this way. It complicates your life because when the gospel is at work, it brings different types of people together. The truth is, I am most comfortable with people that are just like me. But that's not how the gospel operates. The truth is, as, as we embrace our mission as a church of living with Jesus, loving like Jesus, leading others to do the same, particularly as, during this year where we're focused on building bridges with others in our community, as, as we engage that mission, the ongoing result is that different types of people are drawn together in our church community. Different ages, different backgrounds, ethnicities, different occupation, different outlooks about politics and culture. And this is exactly what we see in the New Testament. This is what happens when the gospel is at work. I mean, the gospel brought different types of people together. And this was particularly unusual in the ancient world because in the ancient world, religion was generally tied to your ethnicity or your geography. But Christianity totally overturns that expectation. I mean, it brought different people together. It brought Jews and Gentiles together. It permeated different regions of the Roman Empire and brought together people from all sorts of cultural backgrounds. Yet when you bring different people together, it complicates your life. That's exactly what we see in the New Testament. For instance, we see this in in the early church in Corinth. We see it in the early church in Rome and If you read those letters to those churches, you see some of the complexity that resulted because different kinds of people are coming together. A few years ago, I remember a fascinating conversation I had with a leader of a very large church in London, England. And she told me they'd just done a review of their membership information. And they discovered they had people from 58 different countries attending their church. Now, my first thought was, you know, that's amazing. I mean, that's the gospel at work. Imagine going to a church where you had people from all over the world participating with you as you worshiped Christ and you were involved in his mission. But, you know, as I've reflected on that as well, I thought, oh, my goodness. Imagine how complicated that could be. Imagine all the cultural differences that come into play. Imagine all of the opportunities for misunderstanding and miscommunication. Now, in our church, we don't necessarily have people from that many cultural backgrounds. But at some point, you will encounter people who are different than you. Maybe you become part of a Live Love Lead group and you you find someone who thinks differently about politics or even about how to respond to COVID. Maybe you discover someone who approaches parenting differently or maybe you're in a conversation with someone from a different generation and they just, just seem to engage certain cultural issues very differently than you do. If you have experienced this in conversation or online, you, ha- you have experienced how stretching and challenging church can be. You have experienced the reality that the gospel brings different people together. And when that happens, it becomes complicated. We shouldn't look back and say, oh my goodness, the gospel isn't at work. No, that is the gospel very much at work. It brings different people together. And as we read the New Testament, here's the biblical vision. 
I mean, when we read letters like Corinthian, 1 Corinthians and Romans, it is very clear that when it comes to the fundamentals of the faith, there is no room for disagreement. We have to be on the same page. However, those letters also acknowledge that there will be other issues, secondary issues, where we need to leave room for disagreement. Now, if we're going to embrace this, this Jesus vision of unity, this vision that brings different people together, I think there's also another thing we need to realize. Something we've got to keep coming back to. And that is this. We have to keep coming back to the fact that Jesus has given us a new, a new identity. Maybe you could put it this way. To live in unity requires a new identity. If you saw our service last week as we were talking about politics, I interviewed two guys in our church that are very different politically but are are very close relationally. And the key to their relationship is the fact that in the midst of their differences, they keep coming back to what they have in common. They keep coming back to the fact that their foundational identity is now rooted in their relationship with Jesus. That's their ultimate source of identity. And that's now our ultimate source of identity as followers of Christ. It's not our nationality, not our ethnicity, not our generation, not our politics. So here's what we've seen. Jesus has this amazing vision for unity for his church, for us. But it gets complicated because his work actually brings different kinds of people together. Consequently, if we're to live in unity, we have to keep coming back to this new identity that he has given us. Now, we we talked about this idea of unity kind of at a big, high-level, meaningful way. And and as we talked about it at a high level, now what I want to do is let's just bring it it down a notch. Let's start to think personally. What does this look like in my life in concrete ways? I mean, here's the question. So with this big idea, how do do we actually live this way? What does it look like for you, for me, to be people who are building unity? People who work for unity, who fight for unity, people who are peacemakers. What does that look like in practical terms? To answer that question, I want to look at at one more passage. And this passage is James chapter 3. James chapter 3, James talks about two kinds of unity, excuse me, two kinds of wisdom. He talks about godly wisdom versus earthly wisdom. And uh, notice as he talks about godly wisdom, he says this wisdom ultimately leads to you becoming a person who builds peace, who builds unity. So let's let's now look at this passage in James chapter 3. James writes, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done. Notice this in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, right? This is earthly wisdom. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Notice he says earthly wisdom only leads to disorder. But then he comes back to the, the topic of godly wisdom. And here's, here he gives traits of what that godly wisdom looks like. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Now notice this. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So notice, as Jay, he's been talking about, right, wisdom, two kinds of wisdom, particularly focused on wisdom that comes from God. 
But notice he says that as a result of that wisdom, what happens is it, it produces people who are peacemakers, people who work for unity, people who build bridges. So even as he's talking about wisdom, James, James is actually giving us a portrait of a peacemaker. Now, I just want to take a couple of minutes now to unpack what he's talking about and, and look at the different attributes listed in this passage. As, as we do so, here's, here's my challenge to you. We're going to look at James' portrait of a, of a peacemaker, someone who builds unity, who, someone who works for unity. And as, as we listen to James describe what that looks like, I want to invite you just to do some self-examination, right? As we talk about these different character traits, ask yourself, to what extent are these traits at work in my life? So, let's look at James' portrait of a peacemaker very quickly. Let me highlight for you some of the traits he mentions in this passage. First of all, in the opening part of the passage, he talks about humility, he begins the section, he says that, that wisdom, that is the ability to live life well, wisdom that comes from God, produces humility. In other words, wisdom isn't simply about, you know, how do I make good decisions about my life, about my family, about my career, about where to go to college, or what next step to take. Wisdom isn't simply about those kinds of decisions. Wisdom entails the ability to engage relationships well to engage others with humility. That's one of the outgrowths of God's wisdom being at work in our lives. Now, in the Bible, humility is, humility is not about beating yourself up. It's about being for others. For instance, in Philippians 2, Paul talks about the humility of Christ as an example for us. And he says, in humility, value others above yourself. And I think for me, one way to think about this is, is humility. Being humble involves the being willing to sacrifice, a willingness to sacrifice. If we're, we're to work for unity, if we're to build peace in, in our church community, we, we have to, at times, be willing to sacrifice. Among other things, this can involve the sacrifice of comfort. As, as I said earlier, you know, I, think, I think naturally we're most comfortable with the people who are just like us. But that's not Jesus' vision for his church. His vision isn't that, that this church is going to all look the same. His vision is, is unity without uniformity. We're going to be different in, in a variety of ways. And for me to embrace that and to live well in that, at times it will involve the sacrifice of comfort. It can also involve the sacrifice of time, the, the sacrifice of preferences. So let me ask you this, as you think about this portrait. When was the last time, when was the last time you made a sacrifice in order to value someone else? Let's, let's wrestle with that for a moment. Let's continue with James' portrait of a peacemaker. When, when you get to um, verse 17 in this passage, James specifically calls out certain attributes and the first attribute that he lists uh, in that verse is um, purity, right? He says that the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. This is a, a term he uses earlier in the book. He talks about 
pure religion in chapter 1, taking care of widows and orphans, keeping ourselves from being polluted. And I think implied in his, his concept of, of being pure is being willing to be open to the Spirit's ongoing work in our lives. And really, all the, the character traits in this list are intended to be empowered by the work of the Spirit. So here's a question. In this season of isolation and tension, what factors are, are helping you stay open to the ongoing work of the Spirit? What factors, what, what rhythms or habits, how are you seeking to be open to God's Spirit and engaging Him, engaging Him's Word, engaging Him in prayer? How are you seeking to do that in this moment, this season of tension and division? If you don't have a simple answer, one of the things I'd remind you is that uh, in an ongoing way, we're providing devotional guides with our sermon series to help you engage God in the scriptures that we are using in, in, a, in, a, in a meaningful way throughout the week. So here's the deal. If, if, if you're not really opening yourself up to God and seeking to be attuned to his leadership, his work in this season, it will be easy for you simply to become one more voice of division, one more voice of dissension. So James says, this portrait of a peacemaker involves humility. It involves being pure. We continue in this list. It involves being peace-loving, considerate. And, and as I read these terms, I think about being an agent of grace. Particularly during this, this stress that we are going through, it, it becomes natural for us to be self-focused, right? Because our, our lives have become more complicated for some of you, your parents, and you're having to deal with online education. There are all the stresses that come with the ways you've had to adapt. And it's easy, it's natural for us to become self-focused. And yet in the midst of, of being self-focused, if we're not careful, we, we can lose the reality that, that we're still intended to be agents of God's grace in the lives of other people. This week I had a doctor's appointment, and as I went into the office, now you've got right to answer all these questions, and the check-in process is more complicated because of COVID. And, and this receptionist working with me was so gracious. She was very winsome and personable, and, you know, I went through the appointment, and as I walked out, I, I just stopped at her desk, appropriately social, socially distanced, a few feet away, and I looked at her, and I said, hey, I just want you to know, you are a great welcoming presence for this office. And her, I mean, even behind the mask, you could see this big smile. Her eyes lit up. She gave out this big laugh of appreciation. And I thought, yes, even in the midst of this, we are called to be agents of grace. James' list continues. The next item on his list is we, he says this next character trait is to be submissive. And interestingly, the term he uses communicates the idea of being open to reason, a willingness to hear someone out even if they disagree with you, to actually listen, rather, rather than simply listen to win, you know, to listen to hear instead of listening to win. So my question, you, when was the last time you really did that? When was the last time you really heard someone out who was different than you in order to kind of hear, to truly hear where they were coming from? That's part of the portrait of a peacemaker. We continue. Next on his list, to be a person full of mercy and good fruit. And I think this involves being someone who takes initiative in investing in others. A willingness to see others for what they can become. 
A willingness to say, you know, as, 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 as a recipient of God's mercy, I, I've seen the way God has brought change in my life. And now I want to be a part of that in the lives of others. So when, when was the last time, when was the last time I helped another person grow in Christ in an intentional way? Next on James's list, to be impartial. And when I read this term, I, one of the ways I, I describe it is this. It, it involves a willingness to resist group think. Here's what I mean by that. You know, in our polarized culture, where it seems like we are divided into different groups, culturally, politically, it's easy to presume the best of those who are in my group and to presume the worst of those who are in other groups. But what, what's lost in that interaction is then impartiality. What's lost is the ability to see someone as an individual, not just as part of a, a part of a group. Finally, in James's list, the idea of being sincere. And that's the idea of being uncomfortable, being a hypocrite. If we're going to be people who work for unity, who build unity, we can't hide behind a facade. We have to be transparent. Now, this, this will take place at, at different levels and different relationships. But as some of you have probably discovered, often the willingness to truly be sincere, often the willingness to be transparent becomes the first step in building a healthy group. It becomes the first step in, in taking a relationship to a new dimension. So, this is a portrait of a peacemaker in James' letter. Someone who builds unity. It's a portrait of someone who really is living out Jesus' vision for his church. A vision that ultimately moves us into mission. A vision that ultimately moves us in a united way into be, becoming people who build bridges with others in our community. And where that all starts is this, it starts with our Unity. Now, as we think about this vision of unity that Jesus had, this vision that he has for our church, I think it's important now to take time to remember, to remember how he has made this possible. And we're going to do that by observing the Lord's Supper together. So I, I want to give you a moment just right now to get up and, and get some supplies, whatever that looks like for you. Maybe you're you're, you're uh, by yourself to get whatever you need to celebrate communion. If you're with people from one of your groups or if you're with your family to get the supplies you need, something to, some kind of bread, crackers, something to eat and, and something to drink. So I'm going to give you a moment right now just to do that. And, and as you are gathering your supplies, as we are about to celebrate this together, I want to give you one final challenge, and that challenge is this. I mean, we, we looked at these character traits in James 3. We went through them pretty quickly, but I gave you some definitions to help you think about what each of them means. And here's the final challenge I want to give you. Here's kind of the way to really make this message personal and practical, right? We started out with this big kind of theology of unity, but here's how this can really come home for you and me. What I want to invite you to do it's just to take some time, take a few minutes and kind of work through this list in James 3, just to reflect on what James has said and maybe to use the descriptors that, that I gave you. And you can find those um, on hfcinfo.com where you can find the sermon notes. 
And I just want to invite you to prayerfully consider what James is saying. And as you look at this list of attributes, is there one of these areas right now where God is challenging you to grow? And I just invite you to, to reflect on that. Maybe even have a conversation with, with the other people that you're with. You know, what, what one of these attributes is an area where right now God is challenging me to grow, to grow as being a peacemaker, to grow as someone who's building unity in our community, to grow as someone who's being part of God's mission? Is there one of these attributes right now where you can really say, you know, here's an area where God is challenging me to grow? I realize, you know, if you look at the whole list, that can just be overwhelming. The whole list could be demotivating. But is there, is there one of these where even right now God is challenging you to grow as someone living out Jesus' vision for unity? I want to encourage you to do that. That's how this message becomes personal. It's how it becomes real to you right now in the midst of all that's going on. And I want to encourage you to do that. Because Jesus has now made this vision possible. He's now made this vision possible, not because we've got to work really hard at it. He's now made it possible because of through his death, he's brought us into this new relationship. <laughs> through his death, he, he has united us with himself. Through his death, he has brought us into a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that in being in relationship with him, we are now in relationship with one another and we are now drawn into his mission as his church together. So with that vision, would you hear Jesus' words? Jesus says, this is my body. It's broken for you. This is my blood. It's shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. So gracious God, as we've already acknowledged, we live in a time that is very divided. This cultural moment involves so many factors that are pulling us apart. We experienced that firsthand this week. And yet in the midst of that, your vision for us as a church is something very different. Your vision for us is this vision of unity grounded in our union with Christ. And Father, I pray that this morning, today, whenever we're watching this, that the truth of these scriptural passages would sink deeply into our souls, that we are reminded of who we are, and that we are reminded that we are in this together. Father, I also pray that we would be willing to uh, wrestle with James' description of a peacemaker, someone who really works for unity. And I pray that in each of our lives, that in, in a particular concrete way, your spirit would prompt us to be open to ways in which he seeks to be at work building these character traits into our lives. And perhaps there's one right now where, where we just need to say, oh, this is really what 
I'm being stretched to do right now. Even, you know, this, in the moment of, of this craziness, I'm being stretched to be an agent of grace. In the moment of this craziness, I'm being stretched to be transparent in certain relationships. In the moment of this craziness, I'm being stretched to be impartial. Father, would we just be open to how your spirit wants to continue to shape us as individuals so that we can truly be a part of this unity that you desire. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.